last thing Barker says to me before we come in the air today is, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> that's a good... That's it. Team spirit, baby. No I in team, Jeff. There's no I in team, but there is a me. Like, there's an M in the Oh, boy. It's Blair and Barker, the off-day version. On Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360. And as always, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Uh, we've got a uh, we got a, kind of an eclectic show here. Nice job by our producer, Mark Boffa. We'll have uh, Rob Dibble, host of the Rob Dibble Show. He'll join us in half an hour on 97.9 ESPN. In, um, it's in The station's based in Connecticut. Rob covers the uh, New York teams and the Red Sox, of course. He's also a uh, longtime major league reliever, so we'll get a chance to talk to Rob, maybe touch base with him and the Reds, who are coming into town for a three-game series tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, I should say. The point of fact, uh, did they are they playing today? They may be in town already. I don't even know if the Reds are playing today. But uh, they will be here on Friday uh, to take on the Blue Jays, who lost 5-1 last night. They had a chance to sweep the Seattle Mariners. And, well, Kevin, uh, you know, right from the get-go, uh, you kind of knew, you kind of knew there was going to be a lot of heavy lifting in this particular game, Kevin Gossman, who has been really one of the stories of the year uh, for the Blue Jays. <clears throat> what, it took him 17 pitches to get his first out. <clears throat> that was on a sacrifice fly. Uh, three singles to start the game. Got a double play to get out of the inning. And, uh, you know, it was, it was only down one nothing, But that inning effectively forced Charlie Montoyo, at least, I think it forced Charlie Montoya. We can argue whether or not you would have sent Gossman out for another inning. To probably go to the bullpen about a, an inning or two innings earlier than he wanted to on a night where he didn't have uh, he didn't have Jordan Romano we, available. We don't think he had Jordan Romano available because he, he has a gastrointestinal issue. Uh, he was in the bullpen, but the sense was they wanted to stay away from him. Anyhow, a couple of storylines here. First, the same old story with the Toronto Blue Jays, the SOS with the Toronto Blue Jays. A lack, uh, I mean, a lack of, a lack of hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, you were the one who made the point going into this series. You know, we were talking about Logan Gilbert and, and all the stuff he had. You were looking ahead and said, you know, the matchup that kind of, yeah, you know, Marco Gonzalez against, uh, against Kevin Gossman. Gossman's got great stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But Gonzalez, you could just see the soft-tossing lefty carving these the guys up. not a thrower. You were right. You were right. I mean, there really wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on uh, for the Blue Jays offensively yesterday. Kevin, I think we'll talk about Gossman in a minute because that's the new. Uh but I want to talk first and foremost about it. To me, that game was lost when Teoscar Hernandez gets picked off first base. They scored a run, Jeff. Like I, I it's yeah, it's it's uh, one out. Teoscar's on Teoscar's on second with the double. He gets he gets picked off. That, that, and, that's again, that's field awareness. That's knowing what you're doing, not putting your head down when you go back to a bag. You, I saw it. I, I saw the catcher give Toro the sign, which is the open glove. The open it was glove. it was obvious after yeah. Kirk took the big giant swing on the breaking ball, <clears> and then the the catcher Raleigh. Uh, Cal, I think his name's Cal yeah, Raleigh, Cal but basically was like, Toro, look, you see me over here? And he gave the open glove, and Toro was like, yeah, which that allows him to get a little, creep a little closer to second base. And if you're a base runner, that's why you always do everything with your head up. 
That means where the ball's at. I see the ball over there. I'm going to walk back to the bag that I'm trying to occupy with my head up towards where the baseball is can come from, and that means after a pitcher through the through through the ball, it's you these, talk, these, you these talk, are baseball one hundred and one. Because things. we were talking a lot yesterday about base running. It is, and you made a point. I took a note of it because I thought it was, <clears throat> I, I thought it was intriguing. Good base running, good decisions in the base pass, that makes you a good teammate because you're helping other guys do things that are going to get them paid. I'm going to like you. I'm, I'm going to like you a lot more if uh, my, my button wouldn't work. I, I, I would like you a lot more as a teammate if you, when I hit a baseball that you probably shouldn't score on. So that's what I have to do to get you to like uh, me. Absolutely. If you score, that makes me more money because you're a better base runner. You take pride in getting good leads like Teoscar Hernandez, why are you getting a big giant lead for? And you get, can, a, get a smaller lead, a bigger secondary lead. Like and, I, I just uh, it's 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 a lot of baseball one on one things, yeah. and this gets back to name a guy other than Santiago <laughs> Espinal who you can obviously see is trying too hard. Everywhere on a baseball field, when they catch it in the outfield, when they catch it in the field, when they when they're running the bases, when they're hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, Kevin Gosman last night, you know, what, was he? You make you wonder a little bit. Was he t- trying to tip? Was he tipping pitches with when the runners were on second base? Maybe. It's just it seems like a a collection of a a lot of players on your team who, in the, in a game of baseball, I the, I know I used to try too hard. Yeah, and when you try too hard, it doesn't work. The only thing I will say is that whatever they're doing defensively appears to be working. Sure. So I I, I guess if you're if you're looking. For an optimistic point of view, they're not carrying their at bats. They're not carrying their at bats into the field. Uh, Espinal is a really good defender. Matt Chapman is a really good Oscar's defender. Casey is. But there, I mean, there was a whole, there were a whole bunch of instances of you know just strange things, not strange things, just things that that just show you how how fragile this team's state of mind is. You know, Vladdy drawing though, Vladdy, that might be the first time this year I've got the sense Vladdy went up to the plate specifically to not. To, to not get out and to draw a walk. That's basically what he was doing. Got mm-hmm. bases loaded. Teoscar comes up, grounds out uh, 6-3. As we said, there was just a, not a lot going on offensively there. Uh, the only run is scored when Vladdy draws a bases loaded walk. Against the guy that throws 88 said, miles an hour. Against the guy that throws 88 miles an hour. And you made the point yesterday in Blue Jays talk. It, 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 we were both on the same page. Vladdy's going up there, and my first thought is... Draw a walk, and it just looked to me like that was. Yeah, it's not a good sign when the, when your your best hitter is trying to do things that that you know maybe you really don't want him doing. So I know the coaches don't want him going up there trying to walk. I don't even know if he was trying to do somebody, that. But sure, sure did look that way. I got a text from somebody with another team who was watching and said that's a hell of an approach if you're the number nine hitter. <laughs> yeah, you just look at his bats like his first at bat. You you look at little little at bats that that will tell you that they're trying too hard. Vladdy's first at bat. Takes a good breaking ball. It's 1-0. Then he swings at the changeup that's on the corner away, a little weak ground out because he's got Fanny out and he's just You're using. You're not going to do anything with that baseball. ball anyhow. Why you would you do that? Of... Like, well, one yeah. one one counts. Okay, it's okay. You're you're trying to give a guy who is a location, a pitcher, not a thrower on the mound, a chance to throw something on the plate. And when he throws a ball on the plate, he's going to get hit hard. But if you don't allow him to do that. He's going to do exactly what he did last night. Now, let's talk a bit about Kevin Gossman because I know you did a little bit of digging, and and there is some background here, and the background is that the Blue Jays 
have enough evidence that I that we can categor, categorically state that Kevin Gossman in the second half last year was tipping pitches. Yeah. He was given so away. It's more, it more about where he started his hands. He had them a little further right. away from his body. Uh, he would move it a little bit more on his on his. But uh, the evidence is. Split finger, obviously. That's the, why he's moved his glove closer to his belt. Right. The evidence is there mm-hmm. that he was tipping pitches, and yeah. the Jays corrected it. Mm-hmm. Last night. Now, first of all, I'm suspicious, and this is not to take anything away from the Mariners. Hitters. They did a really good job. But when Kevin Gossman gives up three consecutive singles, I'm thinking, and, and Tabby pointed out in the telecast too, the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, is he tipping pitches or in baseball parlance, do they, quote, have something on him? And you noticed something, and, and it's not just the fact that, the, that they got three hits. It was the fact that they just they seemed to know when the splitter was coming. Like, they were not... And, and, yeah, I mean, you can go on video and say this is when Kevin Gossam's going to throw his splitter. But, Kevin, there are some really comfortable takes on pitches that we've seen guys wail away, real good hitters wail away on this year and have no chance. These guys weren't even – they weren't even – they weren't even sniffing at he gave He gave up four – They were spitting at Four two-strike hits the first three innings. That's not Kevin Gossman. If that – again, you know, for me, he has to have the consistent velocity on the fastball to make the split finger that much better because you got to get it going a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then when you see, uh-oh, it looks like because it's tunneling and it has the same um, – the baseball has the same movement as the four-seamer. It, it it tends to you swing and chase the split finger a little bit more. So he didn't have the 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 consistent velocity last night. But I'm with you. It just make you wonder when Frazier and Ty France are on second base there in the first inning and the at-bats that Crawford and Winker and Suarez were having. Suarez on the slider away. That'd make you wonder if, you know, they could see grip. It's very easy if you're watching on TV whenever he gives his sign because he has it at his belt. But his glove looks opened. And if your guy stand on second base, I could see, I could see split grip, I could see slider with the seams, I could see four seamers against the seams. It's not an it's not a hard thing to do. Now, I, I, it makes me wonder. You know, I can't back this up with any. And I'm sure exactly that Petey is walking into a locker room, going seeing the same thing, and I'm seeing why are they taking that. Is there something up? And I'm sure they'll correct it if that's yeah. what they're seeing. But it make you wonder if that's. That was what's going on. And, again, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Seattle. They had some really good at-bats. And if you can see the signs from standing at second base, more power to you. And Adam, Do a better and, job of hiding it. And Adam, the pitcher. And, uh, and, 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 and Fraser's had – Fraser was a good guy to have in second base because he's had a lot he of success. Ha- he has, but not, not against the split finger. Split finger's a different animal. He's never really faced him when he's throwing the split finger like he does. Now, that split he started being really good last year when he's in San Francisco. So, he doesn't have a big – Sample size when it comes to facing him with the split finger, but it's a little odd. Make you wonder uh, mm-hmm. why they were taking him, the 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 swings that they had on him, uh, how easy I'm with you, how easy they were taking him. Like they either knew it was coming, or he was giving something away in his wind up or release point wasn't releasing it in the same spot. But it was the first inning, and that, that because it was in the first inning, because he gave he gave up the the four two strike hits in the first three innings. I can add, it's an adjustment, but again. This gets back to, I said this, the, the pitchers have been great for the Blue Jays. Now, there's some obvious guys coming out of the bullpen and some obvious, a couple of starters that are still some work in progress, but they scored one run yeah. against a dude that's left-handed that throws 88. Now, I'm not, I have nothing against Marco. He's got, he's had a solid career, but he's a decent pitcher, not a great pitcher. And the Blue Jays want to be the best lineup in baseball. And you're uh, predominantly, well, they had nine right-handed hitters. Yeah. 
facing a guy that throws 88 miles an hour and to have the at-bats that they had against them, it's uh, the excuses are over for me. Now now it's it's just like an example of that is the, the uh, Teoscar Hernandez at bat with the bases loaded. He swings at a changeup that's off the plate away. Yep. So it's 0-1. He takes the sinker that's off the plate away. You seen a theme here? That's away off the plate. Then he swings at a changeup that's off the plate away and grounds out to, to the shortstop. Basically, he gave himself no chance to barrel up a baseball, to m- maximize collision with the baseball. And until those hit bats, that has nothing to do with mechanics. Zero. Like Teoscar Hernandez knows enough about his swing, and it's simple enough. He's done enough with his lower half to simplify it enough. That it shouldn't take him 30 games to get his mechanics down right. or be in a hurry like he's been telling some people that he's in a hurry with his lower half. And I'm sure he is. Like velocity, you have to be in a little bit more of a rushed scenario with your lower half. But, man, he's a good hitter. Like he's been around long enough to know his lower half to that – having it bats with the bases loaded. And this will tell you things like this, you know, the, the walking with the bases loaded, Vladdy, I'm with you. Look like he tries, he's trying to walk. He wasn't trying to put a ball in play. Those are the bats like that. That will tell you that a team is trying too hard. And how do you get away from that? I know everybody's saying, go out and get a left-handed bat. Okay. Unless that's Juan Soto, you got to figure out how to get Vladdy hot. You got to figure out how to, Keep Bo Hotch. You got to figure out Springer's keeping him on the field's a big deal. Teoscar, figure out who what he's going to do. And Lord Scurriel Jr. for me, he's seven for his last fifty-two. He's lost. Like I, there, there's there's a the, you know, there's having mechanical issues, and there he has, man, he has some in, mental issues when it comes to failure. And I've been there and done that before. I know how that feels. Like when you work so hard on length with your swing, and that's what you have to be. When you're 6'4 and you stand that far off the plate, and last night he looked like he was standing further away from the plate. You lose lose plate awareness. You don't know where it's at because you're so far away from it. But weren't we, okay, hang on though. Hang on though. Weren't we lauding him? When when Hunter Mentz was on here very early in the year, weren't we lauding him for making an adjustment standing farther back from the plate to get coverage on the plate? Wasn't that one of the reasons we saw him have the September that he had? So are you suggesting to me now that because the league has a, a, the league has adjusted to his adjustment, now he's got to adjust to the adjustment? Absol- to absolutely, it's it's move that's, closer. That's the game. Now. That's the game of baseball. That's how you do the. the it, what it does is when you stand that far off the plate, it gives that pitcher a bigger target, and at, that allows their misses to be better. Because now, if I see where he's standing, and I have such a giant area to throw to, and my first thought is, I'm not going in. That's probably where he wants the ball. He wants the ball in. Because he stands so far off the plate, doesn't want the ball away. So where am I going to throw him? And now I have a bigger target to aim at. So when my miss is, I'm going to miss more off the plate than I am on the plate because of the obvious bigger target that I have to throw to. And I just don't know if that's a change he can make. I mean, you look at his numbers, Jeff. I mean, he's 7 for 52. He's hitting, he's four for 23 against lefties. That's a buck 74. Yeah. And he's three for 27 with runners in scoring position. Right now, just me, I'd rather have Toppy playing left. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I, I feel would feel more comfortable of him giving you a better at bat. And that's the whole point here is, is how do you get guys like Lourdes, who are obviously, he is a, he's a good hitter, but he is trying. And when you got a, a bunch of guys who know the expectations of a team and right now are not living up to them, 
How does a coach walk up and go, because you, you've seen other teammates are trying to help him. Bo is a prime example of, and that link thing. He's telling, mm-hmm. he's basically telling everybody that's watching that without actually hearing Bo say it. If you're going to stand that far off the plate, you better have length to your swing. You better keep the barrel in the hitting zone a long time. It can't be short to it and short out of it. It has to be short to it and long through it, long through that, like long through it, like that barrel is staying in the hitting zone way out there. And I'm just not sure right now with him facing a bunch of right-handed pitchers who like the slider. So we're going to start that outer third and it goes off the plate away. Is he mechanically sound enough to be able to do that? And that's the question. And when you have no success in your first at bat, that tends to when you're seven for 52, it basically ruins your entire day. Because I know I've been there. Yep. It's, it's like everything that I worked on in the cage and off the field, and I was standing in front of the mirror forever when I went home and trying to figure out little things to make it better so I can drive down and through the baseball. It's not working because I'm out for one. How do you fix it? And that's the big question for me is how do these coaches get them to not think about failure? It's, it's almost impossible. It's hard. I mean, and uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. did leave the game with left hamstring tightness. Uh, Charlie Montoyo said, when did he leave? He left it in the sixth inning. And Charlie Montoyo said after the game that it's 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 something that they they monitor with Gurriel uh, on, a, on a consistent basis. So um, there was certainly no indication that there was anything overtly dramatic about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Kevin, I'm with you. Look. I thought Lourdes Gurriel Jr. turned a corner last September. I really did because it seemed to be, it seemed as if, as if everything you saw on him, he's an impressive guy physically, right? And everything that you thought Lourdes Gurriel Jr. could be at the plate, it, it seemed as if it all came together in September. And we, uh, hey, we, I mean, we, we talked about it in spring training. You know, I asked you one of the most, what some of the most impressive things you saw. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. We came on, other people came on. I thought he was going to have, I thought he was going to be the surprise guy this year for the Blue Jays. I thought he was going to be the guy that, now, you know, puts together now, the, the, the kind of year that can make I, I don't a know about you, but I will say this. It may not have been fair to put him in the cleanup spot. I know they had to do it because Correct. Oscar was Correct. not there, but that is a, that is a ton to but put you, on a guy's plate. Because you, you know what you're basically, well, you know what you're saying is, hey, I want you to go up and try and help this team win, but I want you to protect that big fella yeah. hitting in front of you. It's almost impossible. Teoscar embraces it, but again, he wants to do it. Kevin, that was done because twenty-seven didn't want to move up into the second spot, and Bo didn't want. I mean, yeah, I'm with you, but. I mean, I, I think if you're saying this right, you, you don't blame Charlie or anybody for it. He was the only, he was the obvious choice to be the, the cleanup hitter. I mean, if you want to keep everybody else happy, he was the only Again, the only guy you had. It's sort of a small sample size. I know 7 for 52 sounds like a big number, and it is a giant number, and he's going to have to figure some things out. I, I just... I'm with you. I'm not listen. sure how, how, how he does it. Standing where he stands, being pitched to the way he's being pitched to, the way his buddies are hitting around him. He is a he is a confident he's a he's how do I say this? He's a guy that feeds off of confidence from confidence other people. Hitter. Other yeah. people are raking. Hoo-hoo, I'm coming to the party too. I want to be a part of that. But is he a guy that sees all of his buddies struggling and then he goes up and just has his professional at bat over and over? I'm not sure he's that guy. 
Like, have you, when's the last time you've seen him happy? Name a time. I mean, I think I saw him sort of jumping up and down maybe when I maybe Chapman hit that homer to center when he wasn't playing. Yeah. Because he knew it wasn't going to go for three or for four that day. I've been there. I, mean, I know they, how this earlier feels. Earlier in the year, the, you know, the dugout hijinks thing was 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 pretty much a running a running sure. storyline. And and I mean you still see shots. You still sh- it's see rare. shots of him. But but I'll tell you the guy that that I've noticed more than him as really wearing this is is Tay Oscar. Like there were a couple of shots of Tay Oscar in the dugout last night. And I mean, yeah, you're you're not gonna be running around and, and having a great deal of fun when you're losing five one. But there was a there there were there was an awful lot of just frustrated, trying too confused hard, trying too hard's a, a thing in baseball, and all these hitters, no expectations. Vladdy, Vladdy is pressing for me. He is he is going outside of things that he is not capable of doing. I hate to say it that way because I've said he could be, if not right now, the best right-handed hitter in baseball. But he shouldn't show that. Like he's not showing that he is a tough out. That's the point is you got a bunch of right-handed hitters, even against left-handed pitching, who doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, who is a location going to get you looking here. I'm going to stand you up, but I want you to get yourself out. It's good right-handed hitters should never allow that to happen. Never. Occasionally, you might get out in front because you just arm speed so good, and he made a decent pitch on a corner, and you may have chased that, but I'm, he's not going to do that to me two yeah. or three times in a row. And that's what you're starting to see, and that's the frustrating part. And you're you're hearing Vladdy vocally say it out loud, and you're seeing reactions with the way he just takes a pitch and the way he talks to umpires. and His reaction last know. night on that that line drive to third base to lead off the, well, it was the inning that, uh, that Teoscar got picked off. You know, we talk about the, you know, the, the snapped bat and I'm that's okay a sign that. of frustration. I'm okay with that. But he, his reaction to that line drive, I, he took like four steps down the baseline, just went like that, just held his arms out wide to the bat and looked at the dugout and went like that. That to me is even, even more than snapping the bat. That's, you know, I, I missed a pitch. This is, I, I hit a ball and it was caught and nothing's going right. Um, so maybe it is a good thing that, that the Jays do have an off day today. The Reds, by the way, are in Cleveland finishing off their series. <clears throat> finishing off their series against the well, yeah. And it's not going to get any easier. I know the Reds are not winning any, a, a ton of games. Here but comes they got, Hunter Green. Well, they, got three, they got three righties in a row that throw a bazillion miles an hour with a slider. Yeah. And one of them's got a Bugs Bunny changeup. Oh, so yeah, to say that you better split that plate in half and, and and have better quality professional at-bats, or you're going to get beat by a bad team. I mean, let's say it like it is because of the pitching that you're about to face. I uh, wanted to touch on this before we break and bring Rob Dibble in because it came up a little bit in Blue Jays' talk, and you and I talked about it before the before we went in the air last night. Um, and, again, the caveat is we we're assuming that Jordan Romano – was not uh, that it would take some unbelievable string of something for Jordan Romano to be in the game last night. We're presuming Adam Simber was was down uh, after making a couple of, of, of after making a couple of appearances. So that has to be run out there as background knowledge. But Kevin, I wonder. Taking Kevin Gossman out after five innings. Now he, he he threw a lot of pitches 
from the stretch. He had a lot of dudes on base. That was not a vintage Kevin Gossman night. We talked about all the reasons. It was not an easy five innings for Kevin Gossman. But first of all, you already know you're shorthanded in the bullpen. Am I guilty of a horrible second guess in saying that I think, one, Gossman should have got another inning? And two, if I'm not going to give Kevin Gossman the other inning and I'm going to go with Trevor Richards, and I understand with the changeup, he's affected with the left-handed hitters. I get all that. And I understand that Trevor Richards, the second inning out, struck out the first two batters. All that aside, he did give up a home run, uh, a, a two-run home run to Ty France. I might have gone to Barucky that second inning. Maybe. <clears throat> Seventh inning, they, they, he would have faced the 8-9-1. That's three lefties in a row. Maybe. But you got to remember, too, Trevor Richards was one pitch away from getting out of that and going two solid innings for the Blue Jays. Right. And then you turn it over to whoever, whoever you're going to give the ball to to face two, three, or but four. But my point is I also want to see. We we just we, – I mean, we talked to Charlie yesterday in his office about, well, if Tim Mays is out for a while, this is Ryan Barucki's opportunity. You know, Ryan Barucki could, could solve a lot of issues. With, I know it, it's – Again, you you scored one run in a bases loaded walk. So, but between taking Gosman out when they did, and again the other caveat is they have more information than we do. But taking Gosman out when he did, and 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 giving Trevor Richards two two innings, I I don't know. I you have to you have to assume for me the five guys were available. That that was Phelps, Garcia, Richards, Barucky, and Stripling. Yeah, that, that's that's really who you and had to probably go, not going go to use. You're yesterday. not going to use Garcia unless you have the lead. I I, I would assume. I yeah. would assume unless it's a tied game, meet of the order coming up. You're probably going to Garcia. That would be the highest leverage guy. And maybe you let Phelps go. somewhere in there. Yeah. He's probably going to get some. Uh, yeah, if it's a couple of righties and a lefty, he'll get that in there too. It's 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 easy to play that guy. That sits on the couch and and. Or there, the there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of pressure on Pete Walker and Charlie Montoya with the way the offense is hitting. Yeah. To always make the right choice. To always pick the right guy. And as we said, gen- generally they've wrong. done it. Generally they've been able to do that. This sooner year. or later it's going to go wrong. Trevor Richards on thrown two innings. By the way, one time this year, one time. Rob Dibble is host of the Rob Dibble Show on 97.9 ESPN in Connecticut. He will join us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Shulman and Ken Rosenthal join us in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, Rosenthal's got a terrific piece up on uh, The Athletic uh, on Alec Manoa and the process the Jays went through in selecting him. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, you know, the legend of Alec Manoa continues to grow and grow and grow, but there's a, um, there's a particularly cool story in here I want to talk to Ken about, about uh uh, the Jay Scout who was looking at Manoa, looking out on the field after Manoa's team had been eliminated in the playoffs. And everybody's cleared out. 
except for Manoa, who's on the mound consoling the guy who gave up the hit. And it was just, it's a, we'll, we'll talk to Kenny about it because it's like, that's, if you're the scout and you're, you think your team is going to draft the guy and you've, but you look back over your shoulder and that's the last thing you see before the draft, you know, you're going into the table. You're, you're going you're you're gonna gonna to be pounding the guy. table. You're going to bat for that guy. Mm-hmm. So it's a terrific story. We'll let, uh, we'll let Ken, uh, and do a much better job of telling it than I did. As I mentioned, Dan Schulman joins us as well. Rob Dibble is host of the Rob Dibble Show, uh, which is on from 3 to 7 p.m. on 97.9 ESPN in Hartford, Connecticut. He is, of course, a former World Series champion. And, uh, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who could throw hard and dominate people and scare the bejesus out of hitters. <laughs> That's Rob Dibble. Rob, thanks so much for joining Kevin Barker and myself. Today we... We trust that you're doing well. Um, I, I wanted to, I, I'll, eventually I want to talk about, I know you guys focus a lot in the Yankees teams and the Red Sox, uh, and the New York teams and the Red Sox, but I wanted to ask you kind of a general question because the story of, gosh, the story of this season for the most part with the Blue Jays is young team, lots of expectations, can't beg, borrow, or steal a hit with runners in scoring position. This is this is a for the most part a team wide funk. Now, how does a pitcher approach preparing for or going into a game against a team like that? You know that you presume, Rob, that that Vladdy Guerrero Jr. at some point will get a home run again. He's not going to become the worst player in the team. You know that Bo Bichette's going to get locked in probably Teoscar Hernandez at some point. How do you go about attacking a team that is really, really scuffling? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. One of the the things about those guys that I love is they're aggressive as a pitcher. So, you know, they're going after pitches. And I watched Bo Bichette. He swings a lot like a guy I played with, Brett Boone. (laughs) Uh, And I played played against uh, Bo Bichette's dad. Uh, and Dante. And so when, when you're looking at some of these guys, you, you know, you're going to be able to throw fastballs to tease them on the edges. And then you're going to throw breaking balls down and away, or today's pitchers like to throw change-ups like righty on righty change up down and in. Um, to me, that's a mistake because that's right in their wheelhouse when you're taking off speed stuff into that area. But you know, these guys want to expand the zone because they want to hit and they're so talented at it. And remember, you know, those guys all came through here, I saw Biggio and Teoscar and all those guys came through Hartford when they played the Yard Goats in the minor leagues. And they're far and above better than any minor league system that I've seen. And even going back to my my playing days, Toronto has always had the best minor league system. So their talent and evaluators for the last 30, 40 years have been exceptional. You know, if you go back to my day, I mean, you had the Glen Allen Hills and George Bells and guys like that, that that were coming through there. Uh, were unbelievable. So it's the same thing with today, you know, these young guys. So when you're facing them, you kind of use their aggressiveness against them. And it's hard to say be patient in today's game because strikeouts, uh, low batting average, uh, they want high slugging percentage and a lot of home runs. That's what the analytics is telling you. That, That actually plays into the pitchers of today. It really helps the pitchers get you out. Um, because you're not as patient and and don't make the pitchers work. 
Rob, I was excited when I heard you were coming on because I, I you know, you sort of remind me of Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa is a, is a big guy. He talks a lot about mechanics and yep. trying to find release point. And I wanted to ask you what the hardest thing when it comes to mechanics and release point when you're a bigger pitcher. Well, I mean, I was 6'4", 220 when I played, and, you know, you, it's about balance and leverage. And watching him, you, you know, changing speeds will help him, you know, with his breaking stuff, with his off-speed stuff, and saving a little bit more. Even when I'm teaching my younger players, I have about 100 pitchers on my uh, travel teams that I coach. And I try to tell them, listen, you save your best stuff when you need a big out. And the bigger and stronger you are, it's almost like the more energy you have left maybe in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. And since you don't have to go nine innings anymore, uh, very rarely, he's got ex- extra power in those crucial situations. So when you need a pop-up or you need a ground ball or you need to uh, you know, get a, a big strikeout with second and third and two outs and you want to end an inning, he's got that potential. So mechanically – you know, you have to be your own pitching coach. You know, when you get to the major leagues, you've been throwing since you were about seven or eight years old. Uh, you know, maybe you've been a full-time pitcher for the last 10 years. And you really have to manage yourself, whether you're doing your running, your core work, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's all about getting your mechanics in order when you go out there. Because remember, you're not just throwing 110 pitches. You're throwing five or six in between innings. You're throwing 50 in your warm-ups. You're doing all your long tossing. So you got to be ready every fifth day for about 250 throws. So a lot of that is managing your body type, uh, managing yourself and, and, and trying to, because you're going to lose weight during the season. You're going to lose strength by August and September. Uh, so you, you certainly have to, to, to manage yourself to when you get up on the mound, you know, knowing your body, knowing, you know, uh, your balance points, and that that should get you through the the dog days of the summer. Rob, you mentioned you 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 are around a, a lot of young people when it comes to to the pitching side of the ball, and I, and I'm curious about bigger, younger pitchers of when it would tell them to not have a windup. Alec Manoa is a guy that pitches from a stretch all the time because he tells everybody yep. that he can just repeat that, and you know it's easy to keep all the big parts that he has all landing and, and, you know, releasing at the same point. But what is it as a young person, what would tell them that it's time to not have a windup? It's funny. You asked me that question. I would say 25% of my pitchers are probably overweight, not of shape. <laughs> it's just it's today. It's today's kids. Yeah. It's today's kids, you know, as much running and conditioning as we do, uh, you know, they're, they're still kind of portly. And so for, for him to say that is fantastic. Most of my younger pitchers pitch from the stretch because if you, if you watch today's windups, they barely, they barely, and they always step forward. We used to step back from the rubber. These guys step to the side forward and they're basically getting in a stretch position in their windup anyway. So in order to cut out that first little turn, going from the stretch is probably going to help. I don't know, 60% of the pitchers of today because it's, it's really less movement and you're, you're going to have a lot more balance. And, you know, with, with leverage and balance and pitching, that's everything. And how you land straight on the mound and keeping your head level instead of falling off to the side. My biggest problem with my younger pitchers, especially the heavier ones, they're constantly falling the wrong way. Their heads are always tilted down. And so their arm is always dragging through the zone, meaning it's hard to throw strikes and repeat throwing strikes. My, my biggest thing that I teach today is get it over the plate. 
I can I can help you with elevation or lowering your pitches. When you're a foot off the plate either way, very difficult to get guys back in the zone quickly. And it's, and the younger they are, the more they don't understand that. So I, I even coach my travel, my 17U team, only because these guys are on their way to college, and I want them to understand you got to be your own pitching coach. you got to be able to watch video of yourself, or when you're in the middle of the game, understand why did you throw a ball? Why did that ball go, you know, let's say a right-handed hitter's up there, up by his chin or his head when you were trying to aim down and away? You know, you have to understand it's balance. And so when you start falling the other way and your head is dropping down, that, that's some really easy stuff to fix. And young, young people don't understand that because they don't, they don't, you know, and one thing we did a lot with the Reds, I was with them for 11 years, minors and majors. We had this huge mirror in spring training, and I teach this to kids all the time. When you're not throwing a baseball, get in front of a mirror and do your mechanics. So that you, it, you know, the repeating and, and talking about repeating your delivery is more about fixing a broken delivery. It's more about getting back to when you're good. And you have to get in front of a mirror. You have to watch video. You have to watch your, yourself failing in order to correct that. Rob, you, uh, you talked about the Reds, which is great. It gives us a little bit of a segue here because the Reds are coming in town for, into town, into Toronto for three-game series this this weekend um you know look i've kevin kevin was a red i've i've talked to some other some other folks who've been part of that organization it's i know this sounds really trite to say but you know i'm old enough to remember when baseball started opening day was a reds game in the afternoon and that was a big deal and i used to love going to cover the reds in cincinnati it was cincinnati st louis to me were the two national league cities man that that's where you you know that you knew you were the baseball was a big deal there. This has got to hurt you guys seeing what's happened to this team. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's not just the Reds. I mean, the Pirates and a lot of these other organizations are are big on the money grab. There's so much income coming in, hundreds of millions of dollars being paid out every year. So you don't even have to put a good product on the field. Um, don't tell that to a lot of the Reds or the Pirates. The Pirates have 16 wins right now. So, uh, you know, the kids are still going to play. They're going to play hard. Uh, You know, the Hunter Greens uh, that should probably be in the minor leagues, especially coming off of Tommy John, and and not having to fail on such a large stage. You know, that's some of the stuff that upsets me because you rush these guys to the major leagues. But for the most part, you know, they've also had a lot of injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, but to me, when you, when, when you don't take winning seriously, uh, and it's not just about payroll, it's, it's about they, they gave up so much talent, you know, Winker and, uh, you know, Suarez and, and you know, uh, Tucker Barnhart and all these other guys that, that were the core of this team. Even, even Castellanos, letting that, that dude go. I mean, he, that, that guy's a heart and soul player. He's a gamer. He's a warrior. And those, those guys, you can't, you know, the fans respond to those type of players. So it's one thing to say, okay, we'll bring up double-A AA and triple-A players and, and fill the roster. It's another thing to put out guys that, uh, you know, fans want to follow, fans want to support, and they want to go. The, the one thing about playing in, in Cincinnati in my day was, you know, you always had 25,000 to 35,000 fans at every game. Mm-hmm. You know, something that Toronto loves. I mean, because they have great fan support up there. Um, and, and when school lets out in the summer, you would get maybe five to 10,000 more. So you're getting 40,000 at a game, you know, now, now the fans are starting to boycott the games. They want the owners to sell the team and you're not going to sell a, a team like that because you're making hand over fist money, 
hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they, the, the sport is now worth about $15 billion a year. Uh, you just signed all these, these huge contracts. Now Amazon and all these other, uh, you know, digital networks are going to start streaming your product. I mean, they're, they're making all kinds of money all over the place. It, it, it's, and I hate to talk about money. Right. It's more about what kind of product are you putting on the field? What kind of people <laughs> are you putting on the field? And, it's, and, and I love David Bell and his coaching staff, but they haven't given them a chance this year. So, you know, to me, it's not just them. It's, it's the Guardians have a low payroll. Uh, the Twins, uh, the, uh, you know, when you, you look at the Pirates with a, with a, you know, $50 million payroll when the Yankees are spending $250 million. The Red Sox are spending $230 million. The Dodgers are spending $280 million. You know, they uh, eventually, and it's not about a salary cap, it's a salary floor. Like the NFL, you have to spend 91% of what the cap is. I would, I would much rather see Major League Baseball get to that where teams are forced to spend money, put a better product on the field, because I think it would be much better for, for MLB uh, all around if more of your teams were competitive. Whenever you mentioned Hunter Green and you mentioned that he probably should still be in the minor leagues, it got me thinking about uh, Jacob DeGrom and how hard he throws and yep. how good his mechanics are. Like, I guess when you're a pitcher – and you think of mechanically sound, you think of Jacob DeGrom. But he's been injured, and I think of that because the body just can't take how hard he throws and how many he right. you know, he throws at the secondary pitches. And you mentioned the Hunter Green, and I watch him, and I see a, a max effort guy. You know, he has some fluid mechanics yep. to all of his stuff. But you, when you throw that hard, you got to have a little oomph at the end of that. Is there anything worries you with him? Well, it worries me that they're not allowing him to pitch through bad outings. You know, pulling guys after 60 or 70 pitches is not helping you. Mm -hmm. You know, and also he's got a really good pitching coach too. So it's more about, like you said, I watched Noah Syndergaard go through this. I've watched the Grom go through this. Uh, you know, for some, for some parts, uh, you know, some of the Yankee pitchers and Blue Jays pitchers, some of these guys, they don't know how to, to add and subtract on their fastballs. They don't know how to add and subtract on their breaking balls, you know, and it's even on changeups. When you see a guy throw a 90 mile an hour changeup, you know, something's wrong because he's, he's way over max efforting that pitch. That's not that, what that pitch is designed to do. And so when you're torquing uh, a circle change or a fork ball and you're throwing at 88 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, it's going to hurt you. Trust me. I know. I threw a 92 mile an hour slider and it blew out my shoulder, mm -hmm. you know? So when, when you, you know, you're younger, if someone had taught me more about changing speeds, taking off, uh, you know, like, like the way Verlander is, and even Max Scherzer, Max Scherzer doesn't throw a hundred percent every pitch. He will throw a lot of fastballs, but he's still, he's throwing in the low nineties, low nineties until he has to throw 97 and then he'll throw that. And you know, his off speed stuff is 15 mile an hour, 12 mile an hour slower. So, you know, it's not, it's not just that you want a Spalding guy pitcher out there. You want these guys to pitch for 10 or 15 years in the major leagues. Yeah. And it's not about money. It's about, you know, what is your legacy? How many, how many games are you out there for? So I, I'd much rather see that. You know, that's why I love, like, a Zach Greinke. Nestor Cortez is fantastic with the Yankees. Mm -hmm. He changes speeds really well. When, when you look at uh, Charlie Morton, it took Charlie Morton years to learn how to pitch. Charlie came from the Braves. Max effort guy goes to the Pirates, starts learning a little bit more. As he gets older, then he's like, oh, I could still throw in the 90s, but I don't have to. So the, the more younger pitchers are taught how to save some, something for when they're in their 30s, I think it would do them well. 
Rob, the uh, Yankees are 28-9. That is the same record after 37 games that the 2001 Mariners had. Um, look, uh, they're 9-1 in their last 10. They've won four in a row. Their run differentials is, is, is plus 75. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that the AL East race is, race is over because it's May 19th, but they do have a five-and-a-half game lead in Tampa. They've got an eight-and-a-half game lead on Boston thir- or on, on Toronto, 13 on Boston. They... What happened here? Because I think a lot of us really slept in the Yankees going into the season. Myself included. Um, they, they're getting excellent pitching out of guys that they didn't think, like I said, like Nestor Cortez. This Michael King is a fantastic reliever. Uh, he's, he's allowing Chad Green to get some nights off. Uh, and Araldis Chapman has had, hit, had his problems. He's been hit around a little bit. So it's really they've been ever, able to interchange their bullpen really well. They're hitting well, like you talked about, with runners in scoring position. And, you know, now that they put Stanton in the field and they, they, they have judges able to move around a little bit in the field, those guys are hitting them a lot better. Mm-hmm. They're just hitting a lot. Aaron Judge is hitting to all fields, which is when he's doing that, uh, it opens things up. Rizzo carried the team for a few weeks earlier, um, and he's starting to get back in the swing of things, and now you're getting Torres. Here's what they really did well, though. They, they you know... Higashioka, the catcher, uh, getting you a gold glove shortstop, being stronger up the middle, and, and you know, they still could use probably, you know, more than Hicks, an everyday center fielder. Um, being strong in that diamond area up the middle, they were terrible the last couple of years. They didn't have a true shortstop once D.D. Gregorius left. Uh, D.J. LeMayhew is your, you know, Swiss Army knife. He's all over the place all the time. You know, so once they, once they solidify their middle defense, it's made them a much better team. It gives confidence to the pitchers that when they make mistakes, they're going to be caught. And so I think that's the, your Yankees team. The bottom of the order might be uh, making a lot of outs right now, but on defense, they save a lot of runs. Yeah, and I think we've talked to a couple of folks around the team, like Jack Curry and, and, and people like that, and they've, also, they've pointed to Higashioka and, and Trevino. And, again, you don't turn it into – you don't want to turn it into let's slag Gary Sanchez hour, but their point is the game is – the game is played a lot more cleanly this year by the Yankees. And a lot of it starts behind the plate because there's just, there's, there's less drama than there was last year. Right. Well, and, and, and it's, it's not a distraction. It's not, and it's not that Gary Sanchez wasn't working hard. And I'll tell you what, you hate losing Gio or shell because that dude was a gold glove third baseman, but it was a constant, you know, pass ball here, pass ball there. And as a pitcher, uh, especially a reliever, when you come in a game and there's a runner on third and it could be the tying or the go-ahead run, uh, and you're thinking, I can't throw a breaking ball in the dirt because this dude's not going to catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, And, and that's, that's the problem. It changes the pitching mentality. It changes your, your defensive mentality. You know he's not going to throw runners out even though he had a great arm. You know, so it, there, a lot of times you're making, uh, it, not excuses, but you're, you're kind of working around his, his faults. And it was the same thing. Glaber Torres didn't even want to play shortstop. He begged to play second base. You can't have that. Yeah. You got to have guys that are like, I'll play short, I'll play second, I'll play center, I don't care. Uh, and they're going to be decent at it. And, th- and that just changes the mentality in the locker room. Rob, terrific uh, insight. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. That's Rob Dibble, former uh, MLB closer. World Series champion with the 1990 Reds. He's host of the Rob Dibble Show from 3 to 7 p.m. on 97.9 ESPN in Hartford.
And uh, yeah, he knows a little bit about throwing a philosophy. That was an interesting conversation you had with him about big guys mm-hmm. and big pitchers because he was a he was one of the nasty boys. He was he was a he, big big man. He he was he had a lot of deception too, a lot of hand movement and a, and a you know big kick, a leg kick, and trying to get that in the same spot a lot of the times to repeat that and and have the same release points. You know when you want deception, he's a hard thrower. He got away with some some mistakes because he's a hard thrower. But it's just funny to to listen to him talk about young kids and and how they don't or he you know would not recommend the the windup sort of the windups uh you know not something that you you need to do and and especially i, I was going to throw in there and he didn't really say the pitching of the 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 tipping of the pitch is a big thing too you can tip them a lot more the more parts you you have moving around right. and that's a big deal in today's age but that's nobody, the first thing a, a pitching coach looks at is are you tipping the pitch he also made a point like what do we what we call a windup now 30 years ago it wasn't a windup. Uh, a windup is a you it's know. controlled. I don't want to tip it. That's a lot of that side saddle thing mm-hmm. that they do to to have that repeated. You don't want a lot of hand movement. You know, you even even Kevin Gosman has not had it so much away from his body. Now it's more cupped around his belt because you so know that there's a the video pitch. camera and they're cutting it down second by tackies, second. Tackies, what and the they can see. Oh, I yeah. see what you did there. Let's yeah. let's hone in on that, and that just allows that guy to not have to think about it. Now he's thinking. You know, when it's when it's away from your body, you think about it. Is it right? Is it there? Does it look the exact same? And now it's around the belt. You don't have to think about that so much. It's that was great stuff. Like yeah. that is. That's that really is next-level stuff when it talks about pitching. That's really good insight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Shulman is Blue Jays play-by-play announcer. He will join us after the break. Ken Rosenthal as well. We'll talk about his feature on Alec Manoa. And maybe um, I'm almost forced to ask Ken about Juan Soto, even though I... Yeah. Um, seems to me like some GM someplace wants to create a market for somebody anyhow we'll talk to ken rosenthal about that barker's back leg bits as well it's blair and barker on sportsnet 590 the fan 360 and as always wherever you get your favorite podcasts